I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. The book is called Music, Lyrics, and Life, a Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter, but it's uh, not just for songwriters. The book is a highly readable, engaging, often amusing book about what it's like to write songs, and music lovers, too, will glean something useful from this book. Mike Errico, the book's author, joins me now. He looks at what makes music sound the way it does by breaking down the habits that all good, prolific, and keen songwriters have. He looks at what makes the songs we like as enjoyable as they are, and his advice uh, to writers, like uh, journaling always, makes uh, for good advice for life itself. Mike Errico is a recording artist, writer, and lecturing professor. He has composed for film and television and released critically acclaimed work as well as toured internationally. His writing has appeared in publications like the New York Times, CNN, and the Wall Street Journal, among other outlets. He teaches songwriting at universities, including Yale, Wesleyan, and uh, NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. His Twitter handle is at Mike Errico, and his website is at Errico.com. This uh, new book is published by Backbeat Books, which is an imprint of Globe Pequot. Please welcome to the Plant Online program, Mike Errico. Mr. Errico, good morning. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So as I was telling you just before we started, um, there'll be zero chance of me ever writing music or lyrics. But uh, the book is such a marvelous um, guide not only to that, but to life itself. And, and beyond that, I, I think, you know, as, as someone who likes listening to music, um, uh it's it's a marvelous insight into that creative process. It's it you know there, there's songs I like and there's songs I don't like, and it's easy to knock songs I don't like um, because I don't really know how to do it. And and this book makes me realize that there's great creativity, great art involved. Well, what what um, compelled you to write this book? Well, um, the book that I wanted to assign to my students basically didn't exist. Mm. So I just kind of put something together. You know, generally what professors will do is they will compile articles from here and there and sure. all over the place, and they'll create these gigantic, you know, PDFs that you that you are saddled with. Um, and I just uh, I didn't really want to do that, and I thought that I could codify my classes um, and and put it together and so that others can have access to it who aren't going to school at these places. Yeah, and it, it's written in such an engaging um, way that um, right. it's tough to put down, really. I mean, even even uh, I can see, you know, <laughs> most people who pick up a textbook would, would think it's, you know, you, you, this is the reading for, for, for tonight. Uh, i got to get it done. But I, I can see how much they'll enjoy reading a book like this. Oh, that's great. Um yeah, I mean, I've been teaching fidgety college students, uh, you know, since about 2013. Yeah. And um, I've noticed that if if people are laughing, it is astounding what they uh, will listen to. Right, yeah. You know, and, and what they'll actually pick up. Because no one wants to miss a joke, you know. <laughs> You're right. So yeah. uh, if, if you can weave in the, the lesson with with the comedy... Um, it's really effective. And you, you, you also um, uh, weave stories about your own life in this book, right? I, I do. I try and do that only if it uh, if it uh, pertains, you know, to the to the 
topic at hand. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's certainly not a memoir of any no. sort. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I toured for many years as a, um, uh, as a singer-songwriter. So a lot of the a lot of the lessons come straight from the life that uh, that a lot of my students are are leading or are about to lead. Yeah, and and uh, you know one of the key lessons in, in the book, um, it, you know, it's applicable um, in any context. Always be on time, or or else you're off the gig, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's 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 funny because musicians you hear that musicians uh, are late or whatever, but yeah. you know what? Pros or not? Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, I don't know where to begin because there's so many things that I, I enjoyed uh, in the book. But um, the, the idea of journaling, um, yeah. th- that's such an important um, thing to do in one's life, w- whether one is a songwriter or not. Um, for, for for the songwriter, for for, for for a student, say, who who you will tell that to in your class, and they will wonder why. What do you tell them? Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them a, a few things. Uh, you know, the first thing is that I have interviewed so many uh, writers and, and performers, and all of them uh, uh, journal in some fashion. And so I... I I lay out a bunch of different ways you can journal, um, and I will tell them that. And I, I also tell students just um, that there's so many ideas sort of clouding around in your mind, especially in the morning for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting them down on a piece of paper kind of realizes them in a, in a more physical form. It's almost like when you feel like you have so much to do, yeah, yeah. and then you decide to make a to-do list, and you realize, oh, you know, really, I have four things today. You know, it, 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 re- it reduces things in a positive sort of way, and then you can actually work with them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people who um, will, will have an idea, say, for something, anything, and will right. forget. And so I, I started carrying around, an, um, you know, a little reporter's notebook. To scroll things yeah. down, um, I still I, I have a phone, but I, I I'm not I don't I mean I'll, I'll I'll send an email to myself or write a note and then promptly forget it. But at, le- at least if it's on pen if I use pen to paper, um, yeah. I think I re- retain it more. Uh, absolutely, and and simply in the act of like putting an idea into words, yeah. it sort of uh, defines what the problem actually is because you need to find the words that will explain it. You know, even if it's just to yourself, you know. But I try and tell the I try and tell the students to do that kind of stuff, because what we're trying to do is just finish songs, you know. Mm. Um, so getting it in, getting it from your brain to some fixed form, is is really the first step. So that's that's the one, and I make it mandatory also. Yeah. So they fail if they don't do it. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. And in your class, um, do you allow people to take notes with, with say, a laptop or, or a device even? Um, you know, I used to do that, but I think that there's something really important about longhand, yeah. about writing things out in, in longhand, because because I think we don't really even know when you're journaling like what it is you're, you're making. Like, mm-hmm. I think the, this book is basically journals that, that are exploded songs, you know. Mm. So 
I, I try to leave the door open for students to uh, maybe be making something entirely different. And I think you have so much more freedom in longhand than you do if you're, you know, writing in Helvetica 12 point, you know, in, in, on a laptop. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you can draw lines. You can, I mean, I think the crossouts are important. I feel like it's almost like action painting, like uh, yeah. Jackson Pollock or something like that on the page. Um, that includes words. And I think all that stuff is information, you know. Um, and it, it's, uh, whatchamacallit, it's, it's abstract information. Mm -hmm. But me music is very abstract, too. So I think that there's a real connection between those two things that you really don't get when you're, when you're um, just typing stuff out. You know? What do you journal on? Are there specific tools that you use? Say, uh, I have a I have a spiral notebook, and I have my own special kind of pen, and uh, I like it in the morning with a cup of coffee, and that's 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 what I like personally. I, and I, I give it to the students as like I introduce that idea to them, uh -huh. but you know if they try it, maybe they don't like it, they'll figure something else out. And there are other ways of course, of, of journaling that work better uh, for them. But this, is a, I think, is a really smart starting point for them. Yeah. Um, you, you talk in the book about um, how reinventing the wheel is useless. Why do you think so many songwriters try to, though? I, I, a, a lot of it has to do, I think, with just, well, just the human desire to innovate. Uh, but I think a lot of times it's very ego-driven, you know. I think, like, people want to be the one that came up with the better wheel, you know. And the wheel is amazing as a tool. And um, I actually, to reiterate that idea, I, I went to Goodyear Tire and spoke to a mechanical engineer who makes tires. Uh -huh. And I asked them, I'm like, so listen, we've been making tires for a long time. Do you guys ever think to yourself, hey, you know what, maybe it's the tire shape that's really holding us back. And, uh, and they're, you know, of course, they look at me like, um, like I'm, I have two heads. <laughs> uh, because, because they're like, no, it works. It works, you know. And the innovation doesn't come from this tire shape the way the innovation in a song doesn't come from the song form. It comes from how we put it in motion, you know. Yeah. So we get like, you know, we, we get these huge uh, breakthrough artists like, you know, Billie Eilish or, <clears throat> you know, uh, going back like Nirvana and then back to the Beatles and back and back and back. Um, if you look at their song forms, they are very tidy and they are very analogous to one another, you know, because yeah. um, they knew that the form worked but the innovation is going to come from somewhere else. It comes from the journaling. It comes from the intent of the artist. You mentioned that, that conversation you had with, with a person from Goodyear. Um, I was fascinated mm. by the, 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 um, the, they were talking about spheres as a, as a possible, mm. uh, yes. for, you know, as a possible tire for the future, if you will. Um, yeah. Uh, how close are we to that? I don't think we're that close, to be honest. And every time I see something yeah. on uh, on TikTok or on Instagram, uh, I will send it to that person and be like, oh, my God, is my book ruined? Because now we have a spherical tire, and 
and they're they're uh, calming uh, words to me are first of all a sphere is also round it's just more round yeah. you know it's just round in all directions and two there's there's no car for it we don't have a car how would you affix it you would need like magnets of some sort and they just don't have that together yet yeah the, the other thing I was thinking about is is if um, <clears throat> it, it could have been done already you know what I mean if, if as, it was workable, a, yeah. yeah. Well, as a concept, it has been sort of put into into use, uh-huh. but it doesn't. Um, you know, it, it, Tesla doesn't have a spherical tire yet. Yeah. You yeah. know. Well, what do you like to hear? I mean, do, do you listen to a wide variety of music? Um, I do. I do. It's it's funny. So much of my time is spent listening to students. Mm-hmm. Um. But the students are such wellsprings of other interesting listening. So I, I use them as a jump on, jumping off point to listen to other stuff. Um, but uh, for me, if I'm writing, I don't listen to anything. Um, and if I'm listening just for fun, I think I, I'm listening to uh, much more sort of ambient we, you know, I, I like it to be weird, I, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like to be sort of a little challenged by it. Um, I've always loved last songs on albums. I don't know if you've ever checked that out. Huh. And I also understand, <laughs> I should also say albums I, as a construct, maybe it's, it's sort of going away. Uh, but the last song on albums are usually the most weird or interesting I would just check that out if you have an album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take a look at your take a look at the last uh, the last song on the album because that's the one where like only the fans are still there at that point. If you're listening straight through, um, all the singles are gone, all of the contractual obligations are being done, <laughs> and now and now you know the band gets to go crazy a little bit. You know they get to stretch and they get to either be funny or arty or way more ambitious than you thought, you know, they would maybe will even point to the next album, like what might come in the future. So that's, that's the kind of stuff I like to listen to generally. Yeah. I like live albums like you know, Sinatra live or, or, you know, some, Amazing. you know, and, and the last number is always, you know, or, or a cabaret artist, like your sister, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Um, it's usually the eleven o'clock number that that's the last song that they send the audience off with, right? Yep. And it's that's always it's always a special song, and so yeah, you, I will go through my CDs and you know as soon as I get off the phone with you and <laughs> look into this. Take and, a look. Yeah. yeah um, take... Why is it, Mike, that that um, uh, people that want to get into songwriting? Um, I mean, you, you, you talked about this already, and you know, sort of how ego-driven it is. But, but they, they expect to write the big hit. I mean, do you have a lot of students who say that you know I, I have the, the song that I'm going to live the rest of my life on? Absolutely. I mean, there are there are students who feel that way, and I mean, I, I when I hear that kind of thing, I just kind of nod, mm-hmm. like, okay, interesting. Um, and, and I'm not, I don't thwart any of that stuff or put a blanket on it or anything, but what I ask them to do really is to define 
what a hit is for them, you know, because the word sounds like we all know what it means, but it means really does mean something different for everybody. It doesn't just mean like the number one song on the chart, right? Like that's like a very traditional definition of a hit, but anything, uh, but there are, there are endless, um, definitions of that term. Yeah. So I, I asked them to do that because I asked them to draw for themselves their own target so that they can shoot at it. Right? Mm. I mean, you can't you can't hit me the thing that you haven't figured out, you know, its location. Yeah. Right? So by creating their own parameters, I, I think they they can they can define uh, what a hit is and, and I really do think live a more fulfilled life as a result. Indeed, indeed. You mentioned uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Um, uh, when that came out, that was not a, a traditional hit, if you will. It was not a, a big seller, but it's it's obviously one, one no. of his, 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 I think, probably his most famous song. Um, yeah. And uh, you write in the book that, that um, his version is probably not your favorite, is it? N- no. Uh, the Katie Lang version. Uh, Katie Lang sang it here in as Vancouver, well as, yeah. I think, yeah, in Vancouver. And it was, I mean, that was just it. I, I still remember where I was. I was on tour. I was walking into a uh, hotel lobby, and it was playing in the lobby, and I just dropped my suitcases. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was really cool. And that's a fascinating thing you, 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 you write about in the book, about how... Um, uh, listening to different versions of a song can, can yield yeah. um, uh, different feelings and and um, greater understanding essentially of the song. Like you 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 um, use my way as an example. Um, <laughs> you, you got as much from Sid Vicious as you did Sinatra. Absolutely. I mean, there's 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 just a lot. Uh, there are many facets to to a song or to to any really to any any work and so the the person who's holding it or or translating it in, the, in a given time puts another part of themselves into that and uh, and you can see other facets of of, uh, of the song you know um, the, this as a sort of vessel that gets interpreted by lots of different people it's really cool I, I, even before I started uh, reading your book, I, I was a huge fan of your sister, Melissa uh, Erico. Sure. And um, I, I think she's one of the uh, finest interpreters of Sondheim. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, through her uh, performing of Sondheim, I've only listened to her on, on, on CDs, on albums. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's something about Sondheim that I learned that I probably didn't know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it that, that um, and in even a, a song that performed by the same person you listen to more than once, you get something out of it new, don't you? Uh, every time, I think. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, she is a great example, my sister, um, of someone who really works inside the song has a relationship with, with Sondheim. Um, she has studied around it to get a picture 
of the context into which it uh, is being sung, um, and she brings her own take to, to all to all these different things. And you know, everyone everyone does. And um, uh, my way is so interesting as well because because there is a snarl in it, but Sinatra has a softer snarl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the song actually can contain both, you know? Yeah. And so then it becomes a situation or a question anyway of like, what is the song? And, you know, because it's both really. And, and yet if you overlay them, that doesn't work, you know? So there's really, um, it becomes a lot of different things. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I, I grew up, uh, listening to the Sinatra version over the years, I've, I've, I've disliked it just as much as Sinatra disliked it. Um, sure. but, uh, I remember the first time I heard the Sid Vicious version and it, um, um, whether I liked it or not, it made me listen to Sinatra differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the song is really kind of defiant and weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very weird song. Yeah. Um, and like, I think punk bands have covered it since as well. Um, and it, and it takes, um, you know, it, it just, it just pulls different colors, uh, from the thing, but all the colors there are available. I think that's the interesting thing about it. I was going to ask you about rhyme, um, mm-hmm. uh, because you, you do cite Sondheim in, in the book who, um, uh, says that rhymes have to be perfect. What does that mean? Um, they are they land uh, in the same the same vowel and consonant. Uh, they don't. Um, well, like a, a perfect uh, a perfect rhyme would be like a home and dome mm-hmm. or something like that, okay. right? O M E at the end, right? Um, that. Uh, is, is the is the classic perfect rhyme? Uh, a lot of people find that too pat and too you know predictable, um, and and people feel like they don't want to write that way because they don't speak that way. So you would have like maybe home and something like moan yeah. with the n on the end, um, and you know that works, and it becomes it becomes a matter of choice. Really, but but those are the different um, those are the different ways uh, you can go. I think when it really what Sondheim has written is is that you know when it when you can really feel the detail and you can really feel the care in things like rhyme, you really get the sense that like this is a product worth paying attention to. You know, mm. it it sort of sits up a little bit more and is a little bit more. Um, uh, I don't know, important in, 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 a, in a way. It's more artful. Uh, whereas if something's conversational, it's much more informal. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, I think for him it sounds like it's something that um, he doesn't feel is as expensive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't pay for that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, it it really depends on on, on uh, what the um, the emotion you're trying to pull. Yeah. You know. Um. I, it, funny, I should say. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, please. Just like yeah, yeah, please. To 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 bring a, a, 
uh, forward. Um, one place where perfect rhyme really works is in parody, mm. song par- parody or satire. Yeah. Uh, there's an artist, Bo Burnham, who oh, did yeah. a, a yeah. Net- Netflix special called Inside. I mean, his rhymes are really on. And the, and the fact that they're on lands the joke, mm. you know, because you you can't imagine where this thing is going. And then not only is it going somewhere uh, coherent and logical, but it's actually been worked on to, to land on a rhyme. And that actually increases the, the comedic potential of it. So like in parody and Seth are... Uh, Perfect Rhyme is really your friend. Yeah, I, I just saw that. Um, I bought the documentary on, on the, the, the recording of the cast album of Company. And mm-hmm. on the special, you know, one of the extras that they have on there is the, the documentary now uh, parody of the film. And um, mm-hmm. so they, they wrote new songs for that. And you're absolutely right that, that when, when, um, when the rhyme hits, it, it's so much funnier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it feels like care has been taken. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's not just a joke now. It's it's actually another form of art, I guess. Yeah, it really it nails it down. It nails the, the comedy. Yeah. Is writer's block real? Uh, writer's block is not real. Writer's block was created by a Freudian psychiatrist named Dr. Edmund Bergler, who said, and I, I mentioned this in the book, um, he felt that the, the uh, cause of writer's block was uh, mothers who were stingy with their breast milk, um, which is something I was shocked to learn. Um, and uh, it, was, it was shouted down, and a lot of Freudian sort of psychiatry was has been sort of uh, reworked in, in the past years, but that, but writer's block, the term is just so good. It just sounds right, yeah. you know? Uh, and so it's sort of, uh, it has stuck. But, um, when a student says to me, like, I'm blocked, I, I don't buy it, you know? And I'm just like, I just say to them, like, you're not blocked, you're afraid. You're, mm. you're afraid of something, right? To me, blocked is like I've had, you know, a, a stroke, an aphasia of some uh-huh. sort, uh-huh. and like I no longer, or I'm wearing mittens and I can't type anymore. Um, that's not a that's a physical block, uh, but um, generally, what it is is, is fear, yeah. and working through that fear by journaling about the fear actually kills the concept of writer's block because. Even if you did believe writer's block was real, there is a cure, and they have come up with a cure. And through studies, the cure is to write through it, mm. which is what you would do if you didn't have it, right? Yeah. So the cure is the same whether or not you think you have the disease, right? So just keep writing, right? So it, which to me completely disproves the concept. Indeed, indeed. Um, you are um, uh, someone who teaches, and um, I was yeah. going to ask you what makes a good mentor, because there are um, a lot of uh, students of yours who have been positively affected by, by you and your work. 
Um, do you have an idea of, of um, what it takes to be a good mentor, say? And uh, I'm sure you've had that in your own life yourself. Um, now that you're, yeah. you're influencing others, um, what are the lessons that you're, you're bringing forward that, that 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 inspire you to to be a good mentor? Say. Um, well, I don't. I, don't I'm, I it's funny. I, I uh, I'm not totally sure, but I would say um, empathy is really the most important uh, thing. I I feel like I'm able. I know the problem that I uh, that I see in office hours because I've lived through them, um, and I remember those problems. I know that people always say that the, oh, the new generation is so different. Blah 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 blah. Um, they have the same questions and fears, and they're crying about all the same stuff. In in my mind, mm-hmm. um, so the empathy. Uh, of that, the ability to listen, I think, is really important. Um, and the and it has to do a little bit with the writer's block thing too. To deny uh, blocks, just to deny uh, fear, and to push through that kind of stuff anyway. Um, that's always a person by person sort of. Uh, conversation, but it's always sort of the same idea. You know, it's always like, how are we going to get the next song done? Right? Mm-hmm. To do that, to take that step is to know how to take all steps. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is a little bit how I um, approach them. Uh, but it's definitely a lot of listening. Yeah, yeah. And it's really... And it's really cool. It's it's really cool to really be in their corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I um, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's, it's nice to root for someone, right? Oh man, it's so good. Yeah. And it's also performative. You know, I'm a performer at first, but this is performative, but without the narcissism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, that's the part that's really great. Like, if I'm on stage, it's kind of like, yeah, me, me, me. But if I'm, I'm in class, it's really you, 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 right? It's, yeah. it's, it's me helping you. This, cool. is, this is such a marvelous book. I could talk all afternoon with you about it, Mike. Congratulations <laughs> on it and, and continued good luck. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you so much. The book is called Music, Lyrics, and Life, a Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter. It's published by... Uh, Backbeat Books, which is an imprint of Globe Pequot. Also visit erico.com for more information. Mike Erico, join me on the line from New York City and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plantum.